Hello, Mount Pleasant family. Thank you so much for joining us for worship. Happy 4th of July weekend to you wherever and whenever you are watching this. I'm so glad that you were here with us. This weekend, uh, there's a lot of attention on our nation, and rightfully so. We celebrate our freedom. And to be honest, our country has been through a lot the last 18 months, from political division to racial division to a global health pandemic. There's been a lot of things going on. And if there's one thing that is true among all of that is that we need to pray. I think that you probably know that, but the question is, is what do we pray for, right? Do we pray for our political party to have control? Do we pray for what we think should happen? What should we be praying about? I wonder if you've ever felt that tension before, that that tension of, yes, I, I live here in America, but I know I should be praying for my country, but about what exactly? I wonder if you've ever felt that. I'd like to talk to you about prayer today. And I'm not going to apologize for that. I know we've talked about this before and maybe even often, but it's one of the foundations of our faith. And it's something we need to continually talk about and practice to have a genuine relationship with God. You see, maybe one of our problems is that we hope that our hopes and our dreams can be accomplished through prayer. And while that is certainly possible and plausible, we see that, and that is evident in Scripture, maybe a truer understanding of prayer was said by the Danish philosopher Søren Kierkegaard when he said, The function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. See, prayer isn't about influencing God. It's about changing you so that you become closer to to God and fulfill his purpose for you in your life. That is what prayer is about. So maybe we should be praying to change ourselves so that we can live out what God has for us in this world. Is that your attitude during prayer? I wonder if that would be true of you. So what should we be praying for? A few weeks ago, we talked about the problem and the privilege of prayer. We looked at the Gospel of Luke and and the example that Jesus set when he taught us about prayer. And today I want to take that a little step further. I want to talk about uh, modeling our prayers after Jesus. We're going to look at one of the most intimate moments of Jesus's life. It's found in John chapter 17. So I want to encourage you if you have a Bible or uh, a Bible app with you to turn to John chapter 17. We're going to be spending all of our time there. Many times in the Gospels we see that Jesus went off and prayed. Right? We know that he got up early and he prayed, or he left the disciples and prayed. We know that Jesus prayed. We see that over and over in Scripture. But there's very few times that we know what Jesus actually prayed. One of those moments is in John chapter 17, near the end of Jesus' life. We get a close glimpse of what he prayed about, and that's because his disciples were there listening. They were eyewitnesses to this prayer. They watched it unfold. So we're going to look at a large portion of this prayer and aim to pray for the things that Jesus prayed about. So let's read our text together. It's John chapter 17, starting in verse 10 and going through verse 23. This is what Jesus prays. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, Protect them by the power of your name, 
the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them, kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so the scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. All right, that's our text for today. I wanted to read this to you in its entirety, but what we'll do is grab some main pieces from this prayer of what Jesus prays and seek to pray the way that Jesus prays with the lens of saying, how can I have an influence in this world, in our country? Our first main theme that we see that we should pray for is this, is that we should pray for protection. You can see that in the latter part of verse 11, as Jesus is praying for his disciples, he says this, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. Now, we do a pretty good job of this. I think anytime someone is traveling, right? We pray for safe travels and protection, right? You've probably been in a moment like that, but what did Jesus think they needed protection from? You see, this prayer was actually in conclusion to a larger conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples. If we go back to John chapter 15 and John chapter 16, this is the final night of Jesus's life. And he has already told them of the terrible opposition that they would have to face because of the gospel and that they would have to face it without him, that he would be gone. In fact, here's what he says with this entire thought in our text. In verse 11, he says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they are one as we are one. Right? He says, I'm not going to be here anymore. So protect them from the opposition that they will face in regards to the truth of the gospel. This word that is used by Jesus here in this prayer for protect is an interesting word study. It's actually translated very well into protect, but there's a little bit more to it. The Greek word for protect here is this word tereo. It means to keep intact, to guard, observe, watch over, right? So you very much get the sense that it was used as guard language. Protect this. Guard this. Watch over this. But it's also used frequently throughout the New Testament as keep or keep intact, like in the, in the terms of to keep the commandments. It's very much possessive. These are mine. I will keep them. I will protect them. And Jesus prays that the Holy Father, who we belong to, would protect us would protect the believers from opposition 
to their faith. You see that very clearly. If you were to back up just a little bit and look at verse 9, which we didn't read, Jesus says, I am not praying for the world, right? This was about the faith of the followers that he was praying for. Our lesson here is that we pray for protection so that we can share the gospel. Because the world needs the gospel. Until you passionately and deeply believe that and have a desire to see that come about in the world that you live in, you won't pray for it like you should. And so we all need to move in this direction. Believe that the world needs the gospel and pray for protection so that we can share it. Here's the problem. Many times our prayers of protection are to keep us safe physically or in our health, but it is for our own comfort or our own desire. Do you see the difference between the two? We often pray for uh, the, the protection of ourselves so that we can be safe, and Jesus is praying for protection so that the gospel can be advanced. Jesus's prayer of protection was special so that the gospel could be moved forward. So we have to start praying for prayers like that that enable us to spread the gospel in supernatural and special ways, enabled by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this in verse 15. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, right? But that you would protect them from the evil one. Protection from Satan to move them off the purpose and the spread of the gospel, not just to keep them safe and happy. And Jesus' prayer worked. I mean, how else do you explain the persecution that the disciples faced in the book of Acts. Everywhere they went, they were faced with opposition. Yes, they brought people with Jesus, but there was constantly religious people that were that were, were persecuting them, were trying to bring them down, were trying to stop them. And here's the deal. They lasted long enough to bring the spread of the gospel throughout their known world. But even when you get to Acts chapter 8, when the persecution reached its highest and the church was scattered, Jesus showed up and he brought their greatest persecutor, and turned him, Saul of Tarsus, into their greatest evangelizer. Protection. We need to pray for this. We should be praying for protection to enable us to share the gospel with those people in our life who need to hear it. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be real practical in our message today. I want to give you three ways under protection to pray this prayer. Here's the first one. God, protect me from distraction. I've got two young kids at home. They love to watch TV. They love to watch Disney Junior shows, and they, they enjoy that. And there are times, and I don't know if you've been around people like this, but there are times where I will say something to them, or I'll call their name, or I'll need them for something, and I'll, I'll say something, and they are so glued and fixated on the show that they are watching, they have no idea that someone is talking to them or trying to get their attention. And as annoying as it is for me to sit there and say their name over, I could be face to face with them trying to get their attention and they're just glued to the TV, right? They're so focused. As annoying as it is, it illustrates to me what it looks like to be focused. That they can literally push aside all the distractions around them, no matter if someone's talking to them, a dog is barking or whatever it is, and they are fixated on what is important to them in that moment. We fill our lives with so many distractions, so many things that distract us from the most important thing in life, a relationship with Christ. So we need to pray for protection from distraction. Pray that you would be focused on bringing people to Jesus every day of your life, not distracted by all the things that the world brings, but focused 
on the lasting change that the gospel can bring to people's lives. When it's important to you, you will pray for that. So pray for the protection against anything that doesn't focus on something that is eternal. Here's the second prayer. Pray this, God, protect me from accusation. One of the things that we learn from Scripture is that Satan is also called the accuser. We see that first in the book of Job, and then we find it in Zechariah, and ultimately we find it in Revelation, most notably chapter 12. And that's because that's what Satan does. He accuses us. And not only that, but he wants to convince us that our sin is what God sees in us. He wants everyone to believe by accusing us that we aren't good enough and that God won't use us because we've messed up and because we're broken. We have to pray against this. Pray and ask God to protect you from the accusation of the accuser. Those lies that Satan puts in your mind, that he does to all of us, those lies prevent us from advancing the kingdom as we're supposed to. Jesus prayed, protect them from the evil one. Protect them from the accuser. And we should pray this too. There's nothing more life-altering than believing the lies of Satan in your life. There are spiritual forces out there at battle against you. We need to recognize this. We need to pray for protection against this. Satan wants you to believe that you are living under God's judgment and not under his love. We have to pray for the protection against accusation and to believe that what Jesus has done for you, what he has done for you on the cross and through his resurrection is enough for you. You don't have to believe those lies. Your life can make a difference. So pray for the protection against the accuser. And here's one more prayer that you can pray. God, protect me from accomplishment. Maybe one of the easiest things to believe in life is that you've done enough. You've, you've tried enough. You, you can stop now. But when it comes to leading people to Christ, leading people to Jesus, the work is never done. The world will always have someone for you to spiritually influence. And when you've tried hard and you've tried really hard and you feel like you've done all you can, you cannot be satisfied. Probably one of the sports world's greatest most unfortunate things to happen is when Michael Jordan retired from basketball in October 1993. Jordan was coming off his third straight NBA title, his seventh consecutive season leading the NBA in scoring, but he decided to hang it up at that point. And as a part of his press conference, here's what he said. He said, I've always stressed to people that when I lose the sense of motivation and the sense to prove something as a basketball player, it's time for me to move on. It's not that I don't love the game, because I do. I just feel that at this time, I've reached the pinnacle of my career, and I've achieved a lot in a short amount of time. I feel like I just don't have anything else to prove. Now, many people wonder what Jordan could have accomplished if he stayed and didn't retire, and rightfully so. It's a great conversation. But in his words, his accomplishments helped lead him to satisfaction. And friends... This can never, ever happen when we talk about reaching people for Jesus. We can never be satisfied. We can never feel accomplished enough to stop. There is a world out there who needs to know and experience the power and the, and the life change that comes about through the gospel. And it is our responsibility as believers to usher in the kingdom of God into people's lives who need to know it. That's our 
job. There is an eternity at stake, and we have to believe this. And so pray that God would protect your heart from accomplishment, this, this feeling that you've tried enough, you've, you've, you've done enough to lead people to Jesus. We cannot afford to say, well, I've done all that I can, or, or they're just not listening. No, we, we press on. And we move forward because we, the church, we have the greatest news of all time. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you possess the greatest news? And if you do, you cannot be satisfied by trying or attempting as much as you think that you can. No, you press on, you move forward, you keep trying. Don't feel accomplished. Pray for that in your life. With all of this, we pray for protection from the evil one, from these lies, so that we can share the good news about Jesus. Here's the next thing that I think that we see from Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17 is that we should pray for holiness. Jesus, after praying for the protection from the evil one, he asked the Father to sanctify them. John chapter 17, verse 17, he says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. The word sanctify means make holy. And if you've been around church long enough, you know that there's only one who is holy, and that is God. But that doesn't excuse us from praying or for pursuing holiness in our lives, right? The Apostle Peter recognized this, and as he wrote to the churches in the first century, he he gave them this same truth when he said this. He says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Another way of understanding this word sanctify in terms of holiness is to think of it in this term, to be set apart, right? And what Jesus prays for in this moment is that the believers would be sanctified, that they would be set apart by the truth, by by his word. So his prayer is that by living out the word of God, believers would be holy witnesses in the world, set apart and visible to everyone that they are living through the spirit. But there's something that we all have to come to reality with, one of our problems is that we don't interact with the truth enough to be set apart and sanctified. I'm going to speak in generalities here, and so maybe this doesn't apply to you, but in 2021, there was a Barnish study research that determined about two-thirds of U.S. adults engage the Bible on their own once a month or less, with 29% saying that they never do on their own. That means two-thirds of U.S. adults on their own without anyone Uh, pushing them or demanding that they do it, engage with the Bible once a month or less. Only one-third of adults do that more than once a month on their own. How in the world would a prayer for holiness be accomplished if we don't at least engage with the truth that Jesus tells us is what sets us apart? We want to be different, We want to stand out, but that doesn't start with behavior. It starts with the love for God's word. This is what it comes down to. This Bible that I have right here, this Bible I have, my parents gave it to me when I was in eighth grade. And if you were to flip through this, man, this has got like the covers messed up. I've got markings. I've got highlights. I've got a couple pages with, with tape on it. I've had this since I was in eighth grade. It's been on mission trips. It's been to student conferences. It's led me in my personal study almost my entire teenage and adult life. It's because sometime sometime in my young life when I was a teenager, I fell in love with it. I wasn't always like this. I, w- I wasn't always in love with it, but somewhere along the way, I fell in love with God's word because I witnessed 
the, the transformation that was possible through it. That was the reality for me. And our first step for praying for holiness is going to be to engage with God's word. That has to be our first step because it enables us to pursue holiness in our lives. Listen, please, don't go your whole life without truly studying and learning from God's word on your own. You cannot always be directed by somebody else. The next prayer next to that would be to pray for our distinction in the world because we live this out. Do you know how many sermons I've heard over the years of how Christians should be different and and how people should see your life and they should see something that's different about you? I've heard that a lot. Unfortunately, we don't see that very much anymore. Christians have been infiltrated by our culture as much as anyone. We don't stand out very much anymore. We should. We should stand out. We, we should be praying that God would sanctify us, that he would set us apart so that we can make an influence in our culture. What the, what the truth, what the word of God teaches us about things like poverty and sexuality and marriage and ethnicity and orphans and widows and abortion and plenty of other things, what the word of God says about that clashes with our culture. Many of you know this. God's word is trying is literally trying to set us apart from culture. It's literally demanding us to live counterculture from our world in so many ways to be holy, to be set apart, to be sanctified from the world. You see, living a gospel-centered life, it will set you apart. It eventually will. Your life as a Christian should also bring about some level of persecution. Jesus said to expect that. He said that the world, the world has hated them. Talking about his disciples because of the truth of the scripture. The prayer isn't to not be in the world, but rather that they would be in the world, but not of the world. Several years ago, when I visited our church partners in Cuba, um, I got to interact with one of the pastors there, and he gave me a bracelet at the end of the week because we had connected and prayed together quite a bit that week. And he gave me this bracelet that said, In perro no day, which in Spanish means in but not of. And it was a reminder to him of a reflection back to this text, to be in the world, but not of the world. To be in the culture, but not of the culture, to make an influence in the world, right? Because there's a difference between these two things, and it became a great reminder and a challenge to me. But here's what we have to remember. This is only possible through the work of Christ. Jesus, his prayer in verse 19, he says, For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. The process, the process to which they were to be made holy was built on Jesus' own sanctifying work on the cross. And that should bring great comfort to all of us, honestly, that Jesus has gone before us. He's done the work that is necessary to help us to get to this point. So let me give you some examples of how to pray this prayer. The first one that I thought of would be to pray this, God, give me a love for your word. Since Jesus prayed that we would be made holy by the word, we should pray that we would love it. And I know that for many Christians, that's just not the case. We Maybe you don't find yourself enjoying it. Maybe you feel like you do it out of obligation. And so if that's the case for you, let's ask for it. Let's pray and ask God to help us to fall in love with his word so it changes us. You see, forcing yourself to read scripture is, is fine, but it's only going to last 
so long. It'll only take you so far. You have to learn to love it. You have to learn to engage with it on your own, out of your own desire. We need to have the attitude of Christ when Jesus said this, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see the difference? Pray that you would love the word of God and see it so that you can read it out of necessity and not out of obligation. Most nights when we put our kids to bed, we, we let them pick out a couple books and my wife will sit on the couch and she'll read them these books. And there's nothing better than when they go to the bookcase and they pick out their books and they bring back either their kid's Bible or a, or a book that's filled with Bible stories and that's what they want to read. Like, like them actually choosing that above other options. That's what we're aiming for. That's what we're looking for, that we should have a desire and a love for his word, and we should pray for that to happen. But after that, we should pray this, God, help me live out your word. I don't think I need to spend a ton of time explaining the importance of this, but we need to be people who follow God's word. Jesus' own brother James recognized this. When he wrote to the church in Jerusalem. He said this in James chapter 1. He said, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. There's no shame in asking for God's help in living out his word or, or asking for guidance on how to do it. So pray for holiness in your life. Pray for you to be set apart, to be different, but don't just pray that you would stand out and be different for that sake. Pray for holiness. Pray to be set apart so that you would boldly live for Jesus in a culture that desperately needs Jesus. And that starts by having a desire to be in his word and to live it out. Here's the last idea. Jesus also shows us that we should pray for unity. We've talked about unity plenty before. Honestly, it's something that we have to keep talking about. Jesus prayed for protection so that they may be one. We looked at that already, but he emphasizes unity even more throughout his prayer. I want to read to you again verses 20 through 23. Jesus prayed, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Jesus prays that the believers may be one. And unity, honestly, unity is a beautiful, beautiful thing. But we often don't experience it the way that we should. There are so many things that divide us, so many things that separate us. Our world has become increasingly individualistic, but the church was never meant to be an individual experience. The church was meant to experience unity. I think of some of the mission trips that I've taken with students over the years or over the past decade. I've had a pretty unpopular rule for students when they go on a mission trip with me, and that is that they have no phones and no Wi-Fi when they're on the mission field. I become the bad guy pretty quickly when they learn that that is one of our rules. 
nearly all of us have this problem, right? We get so glued to our phones. And for this generation of students especially, they, they don't know a world before uh, cell phones and, and social media and Wi-Fi. And so to take a break from that is actually the true culture shock. But you want to know what happens when they actually are forced to put those things down and actually can't use internet? They start interacting with each other. When they don't have a reel or a TikTok to scroll through, they start talking to each other. They start playing cards together. They start talking about life and, and they experience unity. And every single one of these kids, I can almost guarantee you every single one of them are so thankful at the end of the week that they were able to take that break and experience unity like they've never had before because they weren't drawn or distracted by something else. Unity is a great thing. The reality that we all have to live with is that unity can happen if we took the time to seek to make it happen. It takes effort. It takes time, but there's a lot at stake here. Jesus prayed, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. I want you to stop and just listen to that sentence again of what Jesus prayed. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. The reality is that the unity of the church is a reflection and a witness to the unity of the Godhead or the Trinity. This is what Jesus is teaching us here. Just as God and Jesus are united, so the church should be united. Church, tell me that doesn't challenge you. Tell me that doesn't stir something inside of you to say, we're missing something here. We don't, we haven't figured this out. When we don't pursue unity, we hurt more than just ourselves. He says, may they be in us. Unity is found first with Christ personally, and then is manifested to others. Our unity is possible because of our relationship with Jesus. So here's how we pray this prayer of what Jesus is seeking for when he talks about unity. My first idea is to pray this, God, help me abide in you. Unity is only going to be truly accomplished by being united with Christ first. And so we need to abide in him. We need to be connected deeply to Christ for our unity to be genuine and not forced, right? Not something that we are told to do, but something that happens naturally. So pray that you would abide in Jesus. Pray that you you would take the steps that you need to take to feel connected to Christ in your own life. But also pray this, God, let us be one, right? Jesus prayed it we should pray this too. It's it's not easy. It's not going to be easy. You're going to have plenty of differences, different of differences of opinions, theological differences, differences in personalities and interests. Differences will be there. I can promise you that. But unity has to be the goal because God's people live by the same eternal truths. Because we live by the same eternal truths, we have to overcome our differences even theological ones. Because we live by the same eternal truth, we have to overcome our differences. Church, we have to pray for unity. Paul prayed for this throughout his letters in the New Testament. And guess what? Jesus prayed for unity as well because he knew the importance of it. Why? Why is it important? Jesus made it so clear when he says this, 
so that the world will know. Specifically, here's what he says in verse 23. He says, then, when they find this unity, then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Guys, the very mission of the church is at stake when it comes to unity. Our unity will help the world believe in Jesus. And when we are not unified, we make it that much harder for other people to believe. The unity of the church is not an option. It's a mandate. Jesus prayed for unity so that the world will believe in him. So what do I want you to do with all this, with with Jesus' prayer and what he prays for? Because that's a lot of prayers to pray. God, protect me from distraction. God, protect me from accusation. God, protect me from accomplishment. God, give me a love for your word. God, help me live out your word. God, help me abide in you. God, let us be one. So pick one. Pick one of those prayers. Start praying like Jesus so that you can influence the world for Jesus. All of these prayers would help us stand out, would help us to have influence and make a difference in this world. The bottom line is this, is that we should have a passion for evangelism, a desire to be set apart, and a mandate to unify. And if you don't have that passion, that desire, or feel that mandate, then you better start praying for it in your life the same way that Jesus prayed for you and for me. If we all did this, I mean, can you imagine a church filled with people asking God to protect them from Satan so that they could spread the gospel? Can you imagine a church that would be praying that they would be set apart and be holy from our culture so that we can make an influence in this world? Can you imagine a church praying that we would be united and be one despite all of our differences. I imagine that if we were to do this, the world would actually start believing in the Jesus that we worship. Pray with me. God, we are so thankful for what you do for us. You are the perfect and holy God who has reached down into our lives. You became one of us. You gave your life on our behalf, and we are so thankful for Jesus and the opportunity to put our trust and our hope in you for our salvation. Help us to never forget that. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people of prayer, that you would help us to recognize the battle that we are a part of and how important prayer is in that life. I pray that you would help us to to pray for protection in our lives from Satan so that we can be influencers in this world for Jesus. God, help us to be set apart. Help us to be different. Help us to be pursuing your word so that we can be holy. To live the lives that you called us to. But God, I also pray that you would unify us. Help us to be one in all the differences and all the things that we have in difference with each other. Help us to be connected with the one eternal truth that connects all of us. And that we believe in who you say you are. And that our salvation is found in you alone. Help us, ultimately God, to influence our world so that they would believe in who Jesus says he is. We love you. We pray all these things in your name.
Amen.